Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Angela Cocott will be in with Calgary today after 3 o'clock. We'll have more time for your phone calls and your texts later in this hour. Again, our number 403-974-TALK. That's 974-8255. A lot to talk about today. Uh, and I suspect uh, you'll have a lot of thoughts uh, following this next conversation. Uh, coming up in July... The Calgary Bid Exploration Committee will make its final recommendations to City Council, at which point City Council will decide whether to pursue a bid for the 2026 Winter Olympics. Now, as we all know, Calgary hosted the Winter Olympics back in 1988. Everybody seemed to have a lot of fun back in 1988. I think there's some 1988 nostalgia that's guiding a lot of this. Although... Much has changed when it comes to the Olympics, and much has changed when it comes to the IOC in particular. I think there are some real and legitimate concerns about going down this path once again. I'm of the opinion that maybe we shouldn't. Although I would say that there are clearly people in Calgary who do think it's a good idea. I hope that this bid exploration committee is approaching this objectively and assessing the costs and benefits and gathering the opinions of Calgarians. Maybe there are those who want to do it anyway even if it does come at tremendous cost. Things like civic pride, etc., are a little more intangible. But I do think we need to look at from a cost-benefit perspective. Now, I've been a little concerned by what seems like a bit of a pro-Olympic bent to this committee, of a number of uh, pro-Olympic perspectives on the committee or working for the committee, the survey that came out last week that seemed a little bit tilted. But I am encouraged to see that the Bid Exploration Committee is reaching out to people of different perspectives. And in particular, one notable Olympic skeptic. Christopher Dempsey, former Assistant Secretary of Transportation in the state of Massachusetts, was the co-founder and leader of the No Boston Olympics movement. And his co-author of the book, along with noted economist Andrew Zimbalist, No Boston Olympics, How and Why Smart Cities Are Passing on the Torch. He joins us on the line here this afternoon. Chris Dempsey, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Rob, thanks so much for having me on. All right. Well, as I say, I was encouraged to hear that the Bid Exploration Committee uh, heard a presentation from you last week. How did that come to be? Did they reach out to you? Well, Rob, let me start by saying that Calgary, Calgary is a great city. I've been there a few times, and it's a wonderful place. Uh, I look forward to coming back for Stampede some year. I haven't had a chance to experience that. Oh, it's an experience. Yet. All right. <laughs> uh, and there's, you know, and I'm I'm calling you from Boston, and so what I want to be clear about is it's not for Bostonians to decide what Calgary should do. Calgary is going to have to weigh the pros and cons for itself. But right. it's important to know that there really are a lot of drawbacks to the Olympics, and that this needs to be seen in a sober public policy point of view rather than just getting wrapped up and excited about what a fun party it will be. Because when cities do that. They tend to dramatically overspend and end up with these huge deficits with all these venues that aren't needed. And I think Calgary is at risk of that unless 
Calgary citizens are smart and ask really tough questions about where the process is headed. Right. And now let me drill down on one issue in particular, and I think there, there's a lot we can cover here. But given that Calgary has hosted the, the Olympics once before, and given that there's this perception that the IOC has softened its stance when it comes to new infrastructure, you have a lot of people here, Chris, who are saying, well, this is a, a, a no-brainer. But is it is it as simple as that? Yeah, so it's it's not that simple. And I think let's separate that into two different questions. So the first is around the infrastructure that Calgary already has in place. And and certainly there are many folks that feel that there is a legacy still from the 1988 Olympics in Calgary. But the problem is that the Winter Olympics have sort of metastasized since then, and they've actually more than doubled in terms of the number of uh, athletes and events and resources that you need to put on as a host city. And so your venues need to be expanded. They need to be improved. You need to continue to build new venues. And you're not going to be able to use some of those facilities you used in 1988 because the way the IOC has set the requirements really has changed. And so I think people should be concerned about with the underlying cost there. It's not as simple as just slapping on a new coat of paint to the things you used in 1988. You really have to expand and build out a lot of those facilities. At the same time, the IOC has been saying that it's now going to look at bids that use existing facilities or temporary facilities and that are lower cost. But when you dig in on their promises, you see that it's really just marketing. So they passed a series of 40 reforms Actually, only seven of those 40 reforms deal with host cities. The others deal with things like television contracts and athletes on steroids and things like that. And then of those seven, some of them really don't have a lot of effect. I'll give you an example of one of them. One of them says that instead of having to deliver your bid proposal in person or you know as a physical copy, you can now deliver that bid proposal by email or digitally. So you might save, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks on a FedEx shipment. Um, that's hardly a substantial cost savings in the context of a bid alone that's going to cost 50 or $60 million and an Olympic hosting process that'll cost at least a few billion. Well, and that's the one concern here, that, that even at the end of this process, uh, are we going to have a, a true understanding of what it'll cost to host the Olympics? Because it seems with virtually every single Olympic, summer or winter, it ends up costing more than is promised ahead of time. Yeah. In fact, Rob, economists at Oxford University in the UK found that 100% of Olympics have gone over budget. That's winter and summer, and that's Calgary 1988 included. Yeah. And the reason why is, one, you're building this really expensive and complex infrastructure that is, that's hard stuff to do. But the other and the more fundamental reason here and why you see it 100% of the time is that as these bid committees get going, they set a price and they're under enormous political pressure not to let that price creep higher before they've won the bid. So when this bid exploration committee comes out, they're going to come out with an estimate. And I don't know what that's going to be, but let's say that it's $2.5 billion. Once they've put that number out there, if they if they admit, oh, yeah, we crunched the numbers again and it's actually 2.7, then that's a political problem for them. So they keep that quiet and they say we're always going to be at a 2.5. But at the same time, they're turning around and talking to the IOC and they're promising the IOC more and more extravagant venues. They're making more promises about the party that they're going to throw for the IOC. And so even as the price stays the same, the actual cost goes up. And that's what you see unfold once the bid is won. You realize that that price tag really needs to be increased sometimes two or three times its cost to actually meet all the promises that were made. It's interesting because all the focus here has been uh, obviously on, on the idea of the 2026 Winter Olympics. We haven't talked much about the Olympics that are going to occur before that in 2022. Uh, and the fact that 
nobody really seemed to want those games. Oslo <laughs> would have been the likely front runner, uh, and, and they decided that uh, this wasn't a path they wanted to go down. Yeah, that's exactly right, Robin. And that's really the point of the book that Professor Zimbalist and I wrote is talking about how smart cities that are really weighing the pros and cons are deciding that this is just not in their best interest. So in 2022, there was Oslo, there was Stockholm, there was a city in the Ukraine, uh, there was Krakow, Poland, and all of those started the bidding process. And as they got into the details, their citizens and their elected leaders decided, you know what, this is just not a good deal. And so what was left for the 2022 games were just two cities, Beijing, China, where it doesn't snow, and Almaty, Kazakhstan, which is another autocratic regime kind of closed off to the world in many ways. And so the IOC was left to choose between those two, and they chose a very expensive bid from Beijing, at least, you know, thinking that's better than being the butt of the joke that we have to take our party to Kazakhstan. Um, and what we're seeing in 2024 for the summer games, and I know Calgary's bidding on the winter, of course, but for the summer games, the same thing is happening. So this time around for the 2024 games, the bidders were Boston, Hamburg, Germany, Budapest, Rome, and Paris, France. And four of those bidders dropped, leaving just Paris. And then what happened is the United States Olympic Committee, once Boston dropped, sort of substituted Los Angeles in at the last minute. So it's only Paris and Los Angeles left. And the IOC is used to having many, many bidders, and they like that, right? Because essentially what they're doing is they're running an auction. They're, they want to talk about it as if it's a race or a competition that the best city is going to win. But really, you can think about them up front you know, with a big gavel and trying to increase that price as high as possible from as many bidders. And once they get the price that they want, then that's when they award the games. And I think Calgary wants to make sure that it doesn't get caught in that mindset that you're competing against these other cities and you need to offer the IOC more and more because that's where you really get in trouble and your taxpayers get in trouble. Tell us a bit more about the, the the Boston story, because Boston got fairly far down this path, and there were certainly a lot of those those boosters in Boston who talked about, you know, the legacy it's going to leave, all these benefits to the city, and you had some pretty powerful people behind it. What, what eventually turned the tide, though? Sure. So, you know, Boston was, I think, in actually a very similar place to where Calgary is now. And if you looked at the bid committee that was behind the bid, you compared it to a list of Boston Magazine's 10 most powerful people in Boston. Six of those 10 people were on the bid committee or involved in the bid committee in some way. It had the full backing of the mayor, and they actually raised $15 million from corporations around Boston and Massachusetts to support the bid. On, on our side, we had a team of volunteers, scrappy volunteers. We actually spent less than $10,000 on the entire uh, political process. But what we had on our side where we had really good facts and we could talk about why these these games and, and this bid was going to be a really negative outcome for people in Massachusetts. And I think the thing that can really crystallize conversation, well, at least it did in Boston and maybe it will in Calgary, is the idea of the taxpayer guarantee. So the International Olympic Committee requires that the bid city and actually the mayor signs this document says the city of Calgary or the city of Boston or whoever is hosting guarantees that the city will pay for any and all cost overruns. So when that Olympic Village ends up costing more than you thought it was going to or when the renovation of the stadium or the ski jump costs more than you thought it was going to, it's not the IOC that's chipping in more money there. It's Calgary taxpayers. Uh, and that was something that people could really understand, even though they were being made all these promises about how the bid was going to be cheap and low cost and use existing facilities. There was just so much risk involved. And then you look at the benefits. I mean, you know, it's great to think of your city on TV for a couple of weeks and 
I'm a very proud Bostonian. I love the idea of showing off Boston on the world stage. Frankly, I think we have a lot to show off. We have great universities. We have beautiful open space, a beautiful downtown. But when economists have looked at this, they actually haven't found that there's much long-term economic benefit from that. And partly that's because the Olympics are really about advertising the Olympics, not about advertising the host city. The, the feelings that it causes for people at home, the emotions are, hey, I really want to go to an Olympics, and not I really want to go to Calgary, I really want to go to Boston. So there's no real long-term economic impact or benefit, and yet on the downside, there are these enormous costs and risks. And just to put it in context for your listeners, you know, Boston and Calgary are actually roughly the same size. So the state of Massachusetts is 6 million people. I think Alberta has about 4 million people or yeah. so. But Calgary and Boston are roughly the same. They have roughly the same budget. So you're talking about cities of comparable sizes. And um, it's not that Boston couldn't have hosted the games. We could have if we wanted to. But what we said is this is just not a high priority when we in Boston have other things we want to focus on, whether that's education, housing, health care, transportation. Those are much more important things for people's day-to-day lives than focusing on a three-week event that might be seven or eight years away. And I guess if, if people do want to prioritize that, I mean, we, we can have that conversation, but I think you're, you're trying to shape this debate or help shape this debate in a way so at least we're being honest about the costs and benefits. And if we want to find other reasons to get behind this, then, then we can do so. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, I, I definitely don't want your listeners to think, hey, who, who's this you know, this guy from Boston that thinks he knows about Calgary. I don't. It's really for, it's for Calgarians to decide. But what I would encourage Calgarians to do is have a real debate about it and move beyond the emotions of, well, wouldn't it be cool to be on television? And wouldn't it be cool to, you know, have these athletes in our city and think, what's it going to mean for us from a city planning perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a budgetary perspective, from a tax perspective between today and when we host the games and then every day after we host the games, when we might be paying off debt, we might be you know, dealing with facilities that are really underutilized and not as efficient or effective as if we were really thinking about the long-term plans and the long-term challenges our city has and how we address those. Right. Now, look, I think even Olympic supporters would concede that when it comes to security, there, there's really no skimping. And security is a big and legitimate concern. There was a, a write-up in the Calgary Herald today about this issue. And it's interesting because the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Organizing Committee, when they talked about their expenses, they didn't include the cost of security. So th- that seems something that's hard to pin down. But obviously, it's, it's a huge factor in, in the modern Olympics. Yeah, you know, it's it's at least a billion dollars of spending. And I don't know how it works in Canada. I'll be honest, in the U.S., there's usually some federal and national money to help pay for that. But those are still taxpayer dollars. And I think you have to question sort of whether the extravagance of the Olympics uh, really justifies sort of all of that spending when it could go to other things. But I think what you're highlighting is a more important issue here, which is that what happens with Olympic budgets is that the host committees start to play shell games. And they start to divide up all of the costs to different little budgets. And they claim, you know, only, oh, this is official Olympic spending, but everything else is, you know, that's long-term spending or that's infrastructure spending or that's security spending. You shouldn't count that as part of the Olympic budget. But the only accurate and true way to really account for the Olympics is to include all of those budgets together and make sure that you're looking at the total cost. And then you need to compare that against the opportunity cost. The question is, what else could Calgary or Alberta or Canada do with the dollars that we're spending on the Olympics? Are we spending them on a stadium or on a new ice rink, uh, you know, that's going to be part of the the host uh, city? 
when we could be spending that on a new school or a new rail line to the airport or a tax break, whatever it is that really is a higher priority for Calgary. Well, but let me ask you this, and, and you know, maybe it would have worked differently in, in, in Boston or, or anywhere else in the United States to have the state government or federal government involved. I get the sense hearing from some, some Olympic proponents here, there's almost a sense that there's going to be all this free money. The, the Alberta government's going to rain money on Calgary. The federal government's going to rain money on Calgary. They're going to do all these things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Is, is that uh, dangerous thinking? Well, I think, yeah, I think you should be worried about that because who knows, maybe some of that is true, but if it's not true, then you're talking about billions and billions of dollars that the city itself will have to make up. Uh, and, you know, what you what you often see with elected officials is they'll sort of not commit one way or the other, and they'll sort of wait to see which way the wind blows. And if that happens in, a, you know, for a Calgary Olympics where Maybe the the local government, the the Calgary city government, believes that feds are going to step in with a significant funding, but no one at the federal level has actually committed or actually written the check, and that money doesn't materialize. Again, it goes back to that host city contract. It's that it's that blank check essentially that the mayor needs to sign to the IOC, which tells the IOC we're going to cover the costs, and we as the city are ultimately responsible. And I think that's where a lot of cities have gotten into a lot of trouble in the past. And let me just ask you, just in closing, about the IOC. And, you know, I think there are some who want to be optimistic that maybe the IOC has changed or can change. What do you think it'll take to, to convince the IOC to really and legitimately reform itself? Yeah, so, you know, they've pledged reform in the past. And, in fact, um, the great Canadian Olympian Dick Pound was on a reform committee in 2002 that suggested that the IOC focus on existing facilities and temporary facilities and to make the games more sustainable. And of course, what followed after his very good report was the Athens Olympics, the Beijing Olympics, the Sochi Olympics, which all went way over budget and required new uh, expenditures and new facilities. So the IOC has not been able to hold itself to its promises in the past. And unfortunately, you know, I think that trend is going to continue. And it's a reason why Calgary should be very skeptical If you look at the IOC, the IOC is about 100 or so people from around the world, but they're self-appointed. And in fact, they tend to appoint their friends to the committee. So it's the Princess of Liechtenstein and the Prince of Monaco and one of the sheiks of Qatar in the Middle East and the Prince of Jordan and the Prince of Malaysia. And there's some athletes in there, too. Um, But it's not really people that have a very good sense necessarily of what it's like to be a day-to-day Calgarian and what the challenges are, whether it's traffic or finding a job or getting your kids in a good school. Those are not the issues that these 100 people in the IOC really know and understand. And so you can't expect them to really make good decisions for the city of Calgary. They're really focused on how to maximize the impact of their three-week event. They love this party. They get to they get to go to this party every two years for winter and summer. And it's a blast for them because actually the host city has to pay for their accommodations. The host city gives them a per diem. You're talking about Calgary taxpayers potentially needing to pay the the um, sheik of Qatar a hundred a thousand dollars a day, a thousand Canadian dollars a day just to show up in their city. Um, five-star accommodations, a chauffeur. They get special lanes on the highway. They get special access at the airport, all for their three-week event. And then once the event is over, they kind of leave town and they go on to the next Olympics. And anyone that's listening that has seen the images of Rio in Brazil or Athens in Greece 
or Sochi in Russia, where these facilities are just left vacant after the games, that's because the IOC doesn't really care about the long-term needs of the city. And I think Calgarians should be very skeptical of what the IOC promises. Yeah, well, it's an important point. We'll leave it there. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for the insight. It's been great talking to you, and uh, perhaps we'll, we'll have a chance to do this again. Thanks very much, Rob. Appreciate right. being on. Take care. That's Christopher Dempsey uh, joining us from Boston. He's the co-founder and, and was the leader of the No Boston Olympics movement. Uh, he and economist Andrew Zimbalist co-authored the book No Boston Olympics, How and Why Smart Cities Are Passing on the Torch. So, as he says, he's not here to tell Calgarians what to do, but uh, certainly has an opinion on the downside of the Olympics and the problems with the IOC. 403-974-8255 is our number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.